There are few things that are more compelling in this life than a well-told lie. I don't mean uh, a blatant out-and-out lie. Those are actually pretty easy to tell, right? They can be spotted a mile away. We don't place much trust in those. But a well-told lie one that contains some truth, maybe some goodness, is enough to be able to draw us deeper in, pay attention a little more closely than we might at first. This is what a well-told lie does to us. Welcome to the wilderness, friends, where once more we are with Jesus in the wilderness. He is exhausted, and he is famished, and he is tested. He is tested by the opposer, the adversary, the one who has been called the father of lies. Notice that I said uh, tested, not tempted. It's my experience that often when we talk about temptations, we use that word in a way that means just one more slice of cake. Just one more click down the rabbit hole. Just one more email. Just one more glass of wine. Now, it's not that these aren't challenges. No, they absolutely are. But what the lies that we just heard, well, they point a little bit deeper still. These lies go down to the fault lines that exist within each of us that exert a pull. A pull that shifts our allegiances, that loosens our loyalties, that makes us wonder who we really are. This was the kind of testing that Jesus experienced. And it was a, a testing that is much like when a good teacher tests their students, right? Because a good teacher does not test their students to see if they will fail. And a, a good teacher doesn't test their students just to see where they plot on an arbitrary curve, a good teacher tests their students to see what they know. Or, uh, even more specifically to the text, this kind of testing is like what you do when you test for metals. Is it this or is it that? When you, you assay or you test, you're finding out what is this made of? What is its truest substance? 
This is the kind of testing that Jesus was undergoing in the wilderness as the seducer was trying to find out what kind of a Christ will you be? And this kind of, uh, of testing, it also had this sense of, uh, will you change? Will you alter just a bit? Will you subtly be reshaped? Do you recognize this kind of testing? Now, a little context might help us as well here. We just heard from the fourth chapter of Luke's Gospel. And what leads into it is uh, the description of who Jesus is, as in who he came from, who his people are, which is descriptive of Jesus in a way. And just before that is the baptism. And we hear the voice from heaven who says, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. And so that's why we're in the wilderness with Jesus. And we know this by the way that we are led into this by the seducer. Those first words, those first words, if you are the Son of God, then you should be able to Right? The Greek also allows for, since you are the Son of God, then you should be able to. These are uh, words that get at identity. How do you know who you are? And then how will you live? So, words that... Uh, well, I wonder if we heard it this way, if we would feel them differently. Since you are a child of God, if you are a child of God, then why don't you? I was recently on a walk with a friend of mine, when our conversation took an unexpected turn. And she shared with me that in the last several months, it appears that a, a diagnosis that has been waiting for years has emerged, become unavoidable. Her husband, also a friend of mine, suffers from severe depression, and it's something that had been held at bay and masked, and what it did, of course, was serve to further isolate. And now my friend, you should know, she, she is a doer. Her checklists have checklists. There is no detail that goes unnoticed. 
And so the way that she meets obstacles in her life is that she sets out a plan and she sets out the tasks associated with it and she delivers. And she tried that. But as the fog of his depression continued to grow deeper and deeper and her inability to pierce that fog became really clear. Well, it happened in the middle of one night as she lay there sleepless. It hit her. And the only thing she knew to do was to pray. And so sitting at the edge of the bed, she said, God, I cannot do this anymore. I, I, I cannot do this. Please help. This then is the first lie that the seducer tells Jesus. That you can control through your will everything around you. Sometimes when we hear this story, we think about the food. And I, and I don't think that's what this is about. Later in this gospel, Jesus will take a few loaves and turn it into bread for thousands. Now, this is about power and control. And the lie that is told is that I am what I can do. I am what I can do. Right? And, and sometimes this comes from voices outside of us. Oftentimes it rises from within. But each time there's this pernicious lie that says, well, are you really that person? Prove it. Show me what you can do. And there's always more than you can do. So this is why Jesus gives the antidote, tells the whole of the truth. That we belong to God no matter what we can or cannot control. A couple Wednesdays ago, I found myself in an unbelievable place, occasion. I was at a high school orientation night for one of my children. It was unreal. <laughs> and uh, it focused mostly on the course curriculum in some excruciating detail. 
And so we learned, uh, you know, how many units you need to graduate, what you need to do to become UC eligible. We learned about the classes for applied and fine arts, the languages, the sciences. And then it was pretty incredible. We learned that everybody is still really anxious about math. Uh, you know, I thought that was left behind. Absolutely not. Uh, they, they produced a chart that had all the different courses you needed to take for math to get to where you, and the anxiety in the room just... And at the close of the time, there was a, a question and answer session. And most of the questions were pretty normal, fair. And then one parent stood up. And he said, I just want to know, this is an open campus, right? And so do you have metal detectors? Do you have armed protection? What are you going to do to keep my daughter safe? Because, you know, school shootings happen everywhere. And there was some silence. And the counselors, the answer they gave was a mixture of, uh, we do lockdown drills, the police are nearby, and this is above my pay grade. What else do you say? And the question just hung there. And it reminded me of the second lie that the seducer tells Jesus. That the things you have keep you safe, secure, protected. That's how you protect the ones you love is by having more. The seducer shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, all the power and authority, all the things that you can have and you can be safe and all you need to do is worship me. And the lie is right there. I am what I have. I am what I have. And here's the twist. There's always more. There always will be more. And in our relentless technological progress, we can get you more things that you need to do to keep yourself and the people you love safe, whether that is a phone or an alarm or a gate or a degree or an intercontinental ballistic missile. We've got it. And you can have it. And Jesus sees through this lie and tells the whole of the truth. That we are safe and secure in God. No matter what we do or do not have.
About seven or eight years ago, I went to a, a gathering of priests that are looking to learn from each other about the ways to keep Christian communities vital and healthy. And I'd been to it once before. I found it to be great. It's uh, rather than having experts come in from the outside, it's all peer-based learning, people reflecting on what it's like to be in the middle of it all and to learn from it. The presentations had real depth and were authentic. And so when I came back for a second uh, gathering, I was really interested actually in presenting because things here at All Souls were going well and I thought there'd be some good things to share. Except that I wasn't invited to share. Ouch. And a friend of mine who was relatively new at doing this work and uh, as he said in his presentation, really didn't have much remarkable going on there. He presented. Did that bother me? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it really did. It really did. It bothered me. And it took a few good conversations with good friends and some real soul-searching with my spiritual director to be able to get at the bedrock of what was going on there, which was that I was basing my sense of self-worth on the esteem or the affection that I perceived other people had for me. My self-worth was dictated almost by what they said or thought. And this then is the third lie that the seducer tells Jesus. That the only way to know if we really are loved is to test it. So the seducer brings Jesus up to the top, the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. If you really are the Son of God, if you really are the Beloved, then you can throw yourself off and the angels will catch you before you hit the stones. If you are Beloved, how do you know? Test it. And the lie then for us often becomes, I am what others say, what others think. And <laughs> what's particularly pernicious about this one is that you can receive accolades. People will tell you that what you are doing is useful or worthy or special or helpful or important. But all those accolades, it's like they, they, they tumble into a, a chasm where they can only hold on for so long and then they just disappear. 
And so Jesus sees through this lie and he tells the whole of the truth that no matter what others may think or say or feel about you, that you have been loved by God from the beginning. And so here we are telling this story again. We've been doing this for thousands of years. Can't we get anything new? Yes and no. Because these three encounters that Jesus experiences in the wilderness are fundamentally, thoroughly about us. I have a hunch that, that one of these lies is something that each of us tells. And that some way or another, each of these lies are lies that we have heard and lies that we have told and lies that we have believed. And they are not true. Our wholeness, our integrity, our belovedness has been given us by God. Regardless of what we can or cannot control, we belong to God. Regardless of what we do or do not have, we are safe in God. Regardless of what others may think or feel or say about us, we are loved by God. This is true. And as we walk this way of wilderness, it is a truth that we must not forget. 